0: Dealing with people all day is an easy thing to do for me, but learning how to be a better business owner and then teaching others. That's really my joy, is you share your story. Your story of your, I don't want to call it our failures, our, our, our learning lessons, right? I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Greek Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won. Before it's ever fought, think about it.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Wella, and I am here with Brian Felt from Forefront Property Management based in San Antonio, Texas. Brian, my man, good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Brian, I'm excited to talk to you today. Before we get into your story, let's fast forward straight to today, some of the
0: basics. Door count,
1: staff, tell me a little bit about the business as it stands today. Sure.
0: Uh, Today, 198 doors, eight of those are commercial, 190 residential. So we kind of started mixing it up a little bit with uh, strip centers. A lot of demand in my market for that.
1: Awesome. And what about staff? How many teammates do you have?
0: Uh, Two remote team members in Mexico, one part-time field tech, one property manager. Mm. And then we outsource bookkeeping.
1: Fantastic. How did you get into the business and when did that happen?
0: I got into the business in 2016. So my father started his company in 2000. And in 2016, at that time, I was still in law enforcement in San Antonio. Mm. And he got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm. And so it was this crossroads. I had 17 years in, in law enforcement, three years from retirement, but I could see the writing on the wall. My mother didn't have her license. She knew nothing about the business. He had done all this time investing. So I mismade the decision to walk away and went into the business. Uh, Started working for my dad in 2016. I bought the company in August of 17, and then he died driving the wrong way. Uh, on september 11th of 17 so then so september the 12th it became on.
1: wow so it's a pretty it's an interesting and unique transition into the industry i'm yes. sure that was complicated in terms of the
0: family dynamics associated with it i'll tell you this part when you are with someone that you love but that person is locked behind that disease mm. so he wasn't able to teach me anything unfortunately mm. right so he is one thing he told me when I first started with him was to join NARPM. I had no idea what it was, but the very first email I ever got from my dad was join NARPM. Wow. Amazing. And he told me it's the future for you young people because my father was in his 60s at the time. He's like, I'm not in it, but I know that you need to be. W- what a gift.
1: Yeah. What, a, what a profound gift, actually, knowing you and knowing some of your story that actually, that carries a lot of weight with me in terms of what, what was a part of that. But tell me about your journey of taking over the business and then everything that you have learned and maybe the, the different eras of the transition and growth in your own thinking as an operator
0: from 2016 till now. So I owned businesses before while I was in law enforcement, right? But uh, property management, understanding the nuance, real estate is just rules, is what I saw, right? Do this, don't do this. Um, I think the balance for me was I have two parties that I have to please, right? So I, I work for an owner, but without a resident, we don't use we use tenants. Without a resident, you don't have a business, right? If there's no one living in the house, there's no business, right? So what is the? how do you create this balance where you're serving the owner and their needs, but then you're making this person that's renting from you and have their faith in you that you're going to take care of them? How do you make them feel wanted and special, um, especially in this day and age, right? Everybody is a little more... I say Mm touchy-feely, if you would, right, Mm -hmm. versus before. Um, I would always come into this, people in the real estate industry, sometimes I've always felt renters are kind of um, secondhand. If you're around a bunch of real real estate agents, they don't want to work with renters. They want to sell houses, help people buy houses. They don't have time for renters, right? So it's almost like a neglected class. And I welcome that challenge. Like, how do you make that experience better to where they don't even want to leave you? That would be my... um, that was, I guess, one of my challenges. But as far as thinking wise, um, getting around people in narpm and learning how to actually run a business and looking at numbers—that's probably the biggest change for me. Knowing your numbers, because I didn't know numbers coming in. Right, my, my father ran a very bare bones business. It was management fees and leasing fees. That was it. And you know, if you fast forward to today, those are two of however many you know income streams we have for property management and it makes a big difference. We can turn around and do more for both parties, owners and renters, you know, and for ourselves. I'm able to ramp up, you know, my team. I I have preferred to be an owner versus an owner operator. I started off as an operator. Mm-hmm. But, Everybody does. Right, But and, and some people want to stay in the trenches, mm-hmm. which I think is great because that's passionate for them, right? Uh, for me, I prefer, I'd rather it run itself. How do you, I, I'm a fixer. I like to be behind the scenes, the Wizard of Oz. How do you make things work? but don't have to be in the spotlight. Let my team get the credit and we just build this, this uh, machine that keeps growing.
1: You mentioned not being a numbers person. And what's interesting to me, Brian, is that I meet a handful of people each year who are numbers people. They have an accounting degree. They're extremely analytical. They get joy from looking at P&Ls. But again, it's like three or four people a year. 99% of entrepreneurs are not numbers people. Mm-mm. I am about as involved as you can get in small business finance. I don't identify as a numbers person. It doesn't give me joy. It's necessary, and I'm willing to do it, specifically through the lens of finance, not through the lens of accounting. I have very little patience for being involved in minutia, but finance itself is such a big deal, and it's the sort of thing that you can't unsee when you see the power of it, when you see the impact, but there's some identity shift that's required to go from thinking this isn't for me, it's happening to me, to thinking that I can do this, I can benefit from this. I can wrap my head around this, and this is part of what I'm willing to offer up to be the business owner that I I want to be to to go there and to figure that out. That's been my experience. Talk to me about what's it, what it was like for you to go from this law enforcement background to not, to needing to knowing enough about finance
0: to run a profitable business. I think the biggest thing that I've seen amongst my you know, not even just in this business, but now this has spread to other businesses that I have friends with. I'm like, do you know your numbers? They kind of look at you crazy. Oh, yeah, you know, we made this much. I was like, no, but you know this, 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 and this. It's kind of like infectious. I think the the biggest part was putting my ego aside, Mm. right? You you have to bring someone in to help you, Mm. right? And they're going to make it. It's going to hurt. They're going to look at you, and they're going to look at your numbers, and they're going to tell you that you're not doing as good as you think you are. And you have to be able to take that criticism and turn it and make it uh, a fire to be better. That's what Mm. I wanted it to be. Because some people will take that and they're going to they're gonna wall up. You know, I do run a great business and look all this. And, and that's that's great. But what you'll find is that person's running in a circle and they're just making a hole in the carpet, right? I don't really be that person, right? I don't have to be the biggest, but I don't want my work to be in vain mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I want to travel. All of us, or I say all of us, I became an entrepreneur for freedom. I don't want anyone to tell me when I can go, when I can take off. I did that for 17 years. I was under someone's thumb all the time of what I can do. I don't want that, right? But as I've gone into NARPM and been around other successful operators and then dealing with uh, you know, some third-party vendors that help us, you start learning. If you don't know the numbers, you can never be free.
1: Well, saying I don't know is emasculating, especially when you don't, you don't know what the answer is. Okay. I don't know and there's no answer. I mean, that, that's a nightmare. I don't know as the opening to knowing that's empowering. Talk me through your journey toward knowing and towards having the capabilities that you've been able to wield to get the freedom that
0: you just articulated you desire. So <clears throat> thinking that you're doing right. Uh, when I started in NARPM, it was uh, in the 2016, right? Add fees, ad fees, ad fees. So you do them. But then I really don't know what they're doing. Like you're making more money, but then you're spending more money because mm-hmm. you don't know. I-, I did very basic QuickBooks, money and money out. Right, Your your P&L was three lines, like boom, 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 real easy, right? Versus today where it's like spreadsheets and pages. Um, I heard of, I don't know, can we talk about vendors here? Yeah. Okay, good. So um, Todd Orshad a friend of mine. Todd says, um, profit coach is going to call you. I was like, I'm not interested. He's like, yes, you are. So Daniel Craig calls, said Todd, blah, 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 sets an appointment. And I was converted over to, they asked me to do the conversion to Nauro County standards. And I remember- hearing the price. And I was like, can I get a discount? And they said, no. And I was like, okay. And then Daniel says, you have to see the value in what you're spending or don't spend the money. Mm. And that was the end of that conversation, right? A month later, I called back and I was like, okay, I'm ready, you know, scrape my pennies or whatever the case may be. The fact that I had to scrape pennies was already telling me I needed a profit coach. Because yes, the number was substantial, but it's not so substantial that I shouldn't be able to just write that check. That's the mentality now, right? But back then it was, oh, gosh. So we do it. You go through the conversion process. Uh, Extremely painful. Extremely painful. Tell me about that. Uh, The the team does a great job, right? But the end result is they convert you. They put everything in. They sort everything. And then you have this follow-up call. And it's like, hey, let's go through your numbers. Like, all right, let's do this. Okay, well- we're seeing revenue here. Okay. We're seeing revenue here. That's great. But if we took this line item out, your business would collapse, which was sales. Mm. Brokerage. Okay. Because I did real estate sales. I like, oh, but I didn't know that because you're just seeing cash in the business. Right. And then my expenses. Right. To me, that is the, um, the one that creeps up and hurts everyone. Okay. You'll sign up with this vendor, this vendor, this vendor. The next thing you know, you're vendored out spending all this money, you don't have any idea because you're not looking at your books. So as I'm sitting here and going through this deep dive, I'm in shock at how much money I'm spending on this or that or whatever the case may be. What I liked about the exercise, you break it down, you do the conversion, you get education, and then you're taught how to possibly improve. So I actually paid someone, as I've always told people, I paid someone to tell me that I suck and then they told me how to not suck and gave me some tips. We put in some changes immediately, and we saw results within two months uh, using the dashboard, um, just pay more attention to these things, right? So then it was, the next call was getting with my accountant and saying, when you're reconciling, you have to use this chart of accounts. And so now we can meet and we can look and, and, and have these deep dives.
1: So the end state of all of that, of going through that process, Uh, specifically around your identity and as it relates to finance did you walk away from that feeling like you were in you were now able to be as much of a numbers guy at least was necessary to start making these these changes what did that what, what was your happening to your identity around finance as you were going through that process
0: the process stoked a fire for learning more right because then it kind of, it's like putting on glasses and there's a filter. Now you can start seeing other businesses and those who know their numbers tend to run a better business, right? There's a lot of people who run big businesses that may not be running a successful business. You're just running a lot of stuff. I don't, again, I don't want to run in place. Right? I don't want to get to a destination. And so my confidence level increased as far as being an operator or an owner, I should say, because even if the money is not doing what it needs to do, at least I know what it is doing and I know how to fix it. Because really now the onus is on me to steer the ship in the right direction. You you have no more excuses because you're no longer blind.
1: One of the reasons that I love talking to operators at your size is because a lot of folks miss just how much profit and how much free cash flow can be generated with smaller portfolios. Mm-hmm. In spite of everything I've done in my career, all of the communication and conversations that have been had, there still is some sense that if you really want to got a, a lot of cash flow, I go big. You need a thousand doors. You need some, hate, uh, some weight, some heft. And yet I have consistently seen operators around 200 doors generate a disproportionate amount of free cash flow. I want to hear from you. If you were speaking to somebody that's at exactly the same door count and their story, Brian, is business is hard. It's, it's a grind, man, not making a lot of money, surviving, right? In some ways, people glorify <clears> it. They almost want to like relate because of the struggle, et cetera. What would you say to somebody in that position around what the business could be from a different vantage point and lens?
0: Process automation has been key for us. I would say the last 12 months has really made it to where everybody. So I went through, um, we onboarded with Lead Simple, I want to say December of last year. You know, December, we switched over from, uh, we were with RentBridge and HubSpot. Great company, had a great time. But one of the things that came out of switching to the accounting standards was how much money was going to process automation. And is there a cheaper solution? And the answer was yes, right? So we found it, we go through. um, So we build these processes out and then I lose my property manager at the end of May. Okay. I hire a new property manager, and now I see the benefit of process automation because the new property manager has all these questions. Your playbook's already written, okay? My remote team members in Mexico, they know what they need to do all the time. I was bullish on automation because I want the same result. I want to be able to have my BDM go out and say, this is how we do it, and there's no deviation, right? So everybody does the same thing all the time, and that way you have this machine that has less human error because when we're trying to do checklists or trying to remember you're going to miss something right and so she comes in and takes over as a pm and within two months she's on her feet like she doesn't need any help or guidance because the processes are there you can't really get lost so we put in the work up front on that and i would tell somebody even if they're running lean on their own if they were to automate some of their processes there'd be less brain you, you have brain fatigue when you're trying to run it all right so automate some of this put it down And be able to see what it is because what you're doing i used to explain to my property manager the old one would say i'm so stressed and i'm like why because i have all this stuff to do and i said show me write it out right and what you would see is this person might write four things out and the problem is i tell people you have finite space in your head right but if you write it out you have infinite space And the problem is you're trying to keep it all in while worrying about their phone ring and worry about this, all these other things. So to me, the automation portion of it takes away, like, what do I need to do next? So right in front of you, you don't have to worry about it. Just take care of what's right in front of you and you'll be fine. You
1: mentioned the upfront effort. I feel like that there is still an evolving conversation in the industry to really understand and get and be as candid as possible about how much effort it takes to get up and running talking about for automation. Yeah, exactly. Because people can still have expectations of like, "Well, I'm paying you, you're the vendor, you should blah blah blah." The reality is, it's a tool, it's software. There is a lot of effort. I want to talk about that, and then I want to talk about what the finish, what the ending point is, and then how you uh, update your processes over time. But how much work was involved? How much how what expectation would you set for someone around the resource lift internally for you to get the outcome and get over the hump?
0: If you can't dedicate an hour a week, You know, you're going to have to reevaluate the way you're running your business, right? And that's not a negative on anybody, but it's a small investment. But it's the greatest investment because it's time, right? The one thing we all cannot buy enough of, right? So you put this time in now to have the freedom later. It's no different than saving a little extra cash now and investing so that you can have more money later on. Same concept, right? It's not a heavy lift, but it's almost like doing your conversion again. If you don't have process, we were fortunate that we had gone through this exercise before,
1: Mm.
0: right? And so we were just basically bringing it into a new architecture Mm -hmm. and figuring that out and seeing what was, you know, needed to change. The first time I did process automation, we took, um, large post-it notes. So if you actually get the post-it note brand, you get those and then you get different color, small post-it notes and you literally write out your processes. Right? So one big post-it note might be move-ins, and then you have different colors for every person and what their task is. Once we put it on paper, then we translated it into electronics. So
1: you went through all that effort, and now you have something that's stable. But talk to me about the endpoint and the evolution. What precipitates making an update to your processes now? Who's responsible? How do you go about that?
0: You know, real-time usage. We will go through something and realize something's not working right? With the software we're using now, it's literally a matter. Again, me being the owner and watching what's going on, I can log in and make an update. It takes me less than a minute. And now this process is fixed. So now I am I spend my time fine tuning instead of having to be in those trenches. If you're on that side, if you're an operator, it still won't take you that long. You're going to know it's not working. Like I keep running into this problem. Uh, for example, we switched from Rhino to an in-house security deposit thingy. So mm. I took that line item out for our RTMs to send something to Rhino and instead to register somebody here. It's just, it's just changing and I don't even have to hit a save button as soon as I update it, it's real time.
1: So in terms of your focus day to day, obviously everybody wants to work on the business instead of in the business. Some folks are more successful than that at others. How would you describe the breakdown of your cognitive focus and what pieces of the business you're, you're
0: focusing on day-to-day? My biggest thing is client satisfaction, right? Our reputation is what's going to, if you're not, if you're doing it right, um, people are going to be happy, right? We, we, we suffer. We don't have enough reviews, right? You always hear people talk about that, but that's one thing that we're lacking in. And so that's become a focus for Q4 is how do we work on people saying, oh my gosh, you're great, but then we just leave it there. So that's a step that we're at. So my day-to-day, a lot of times, is just scanning through some of the email traffic that may come in. We've uh, recently moved over to Slack for inner office communications, which has been, I would say, a great thing to keep us out of our inboxes. Uh, because once someone gets in their email inbox, they're buried, they're lost, and then their focus is gone. Uh, or it can be overwhelming for some people. Not everyone has the same temperament is one thing I've learned over time, right? So I handle stress differently than you, than the next person. And I cannot expect them to do things the way I do them. If I come in and like, why are you stressed out? It's not a big deal. Well, maybe it's a big deal for them. Like, how do you, how do you fix that? And I would like to spend a lot of my time crafting, I I guess, working the business around people's abilities, right? So part of the, the hardest part, I think of moving to working on the business is you have to trust those who are running the business, right? So you have to trust your PM is gonna get it done. They might not do it like you, but if you give them the guidelines and the structure to work within, then they're gonna get it done.
1: Trusting your people is related to being a manager. Talk to me about your background in law enforcement Mm -hmm. and what tools or concepts you've ported over from that background and applied in this context.
0: The biggest one is um, probably um, your listening abilities, right? Being able to paraphrase. So that, that has helped, especially with um, uh, resident relations, right? Somebody calls and complaints, right? Active listening, paraphrasing. Are you familiar with the concept of paraphrasing? No, tell me. Okay, so you're giving me your problem,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I'm going to ask you if I can repeat it back to you, mm. what I heard, and mm-hmm. I'm going to read it back to you. And you're going to say, oh, no, that's not what I said. I'm sorry. Please tell me what you said again. They're going to say the exact same thing. And I'm going to repeat it back to them because they don't really realize how foolish they sound, but you don't want to call, you don't want to call them out and say, I can't believe you called me with this crap. Instead, you're going to paraphrase it back. You know, I, late fees, you know, I'm upset that I got charged a late fee. Okay. I'm understanding that you're upset that we enforced a part of your lease. Is that what you're telling me? And they're going to say, no, no, no. I'm mad that I got to charge a late fee. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't realize I misunderstood you what exactly is it that you're upset about? You charge me a late fee. It's like, but we don't charge late fees here. I said, we simply enforce the signed documents between the two parties. I said, is that what I'm understanding that you're upset about? Well, yeah. So would you like me to enforce one side and not the other? So when you need pest control service, I should ignore that because you want to ignore this part. Well, I'm not asking that. Well, what is it that you would like me to do? How do I fix this for you? <laughs> They don't really know, they just won't talk. When we heard. I'll give them 10 minutes, right? 10 minutes can turn something around, right? Now some people say, I don't have that time, This and the other, everybody does it different, right? But I have the time to do that. If I see, if I see an email come in and somebody's upset, I can address that because I have the time to do it, mm-hmm. right? Or I teach the people within the company. Active listen, right? Sometimes people are just venting. We're a very, uh, as a society, I think we have a lot of pent up anger in mm-hmm. general, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody has outlets. They want to be heard. Okay, we want to talk because it, look, if they don't tell it to me, they're going to tell it to Google. They're going to tell it to Yelp. They're going to tell it to here. And yeah, we can go back and respond. But I'm spending just as much time and energy. Mm-hmm. Right, just pick up the phone. Sometimes email is not enough. Things get lost in translation over electronics. Call them up. Right, and I think the um, this is a completely different thing. But the mindset that I've seen um, amongst operators my size, the like saying, or smaller, is charging. Right, so I have this thing in my office. We tell people we don't charge late fees; they're earned. Right, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you have earned the right to be charged late fee. It's that simple. Right, it doesn't matter if it's because of the bank, because of this, because of COVID. It is what it is. Right, late fees are only refundable for us if it's an error on our software, which to date has not happened. As long as you're consistent, you're fine. You know, people know that you're consistent, they're going to try and they're going to get upset, but you're hitting them with logic, and you just, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is in the way you communicate it to them. So that would be the biggest thing in law enforcement, right? Is um, and you talk about trust, trusting each other, but if you if your people have great abilities and you don't micromanage, I think they have the ability to either shine or falter, but you're not going to know until you give them that chance, right? So I don't like to macromanage, I think the the data will prove itself at the end of the day if they're getting the work done I don't need to check in every five minutes to see what you're doing.
1: So you just said you don't like to micromanage. What about micromanagement? What was the management style that you experienced in law enforcement and what shifts did you need to make in your own thinking as you came into being a leader in your own organization?
0: You have to micromanaging I, I was in um, highway I was on uh, traffic patrol so, you could be on the freeway writing a ticket and your sergeant's driving up and down the street, you know, or driving up and down the freeway and checking on you. Um, you know, GPS trackers, this that, and the other. And of course, you, you know, you get all that, right? But you're literally under a microscope all the time for anything and everything you do. Um, with our team, like our RTMs, we have hub staff, which lets you, you know, get screenshots of what they do. But the work product is what I'm looking for at the end of the day. Did you get your work done? Mm. Okay. Not I'm paying you for eight hours, but you only worked seven hours and 45 minutes and you're stealing 15 minutes. I'm not, you know, you, if you, if you start going that deep on it, you're going to lose your people. I think because nobody wants to be treated. That. I, I, I didn't like being treated that way. So I certainly don't want to. So we kind of run the company and we talked about this a Texas style, one of the panels, but we run it more like a, like a family. You know, I don't have my, my book, my handbook shows that there's unlimited leave because, if people are happy, they don't wanna be away from work. Sometimes we have to force people to take an extra day here and there because you can tell they're stressed out, right? Like, hey, Monday's a holiday, take off Friday. I think you need a break.
1: What is the role of intuition in law enforcement and how have you seen that apply in property management?
0: You have to be able to read the room, read the room and read the situation at the end of the day. Can right? you think of any law enforcement examples where that really saved your bacon? Where it saved my bacon? It was, it, was, it was critical, that it was imperative that you had developed that skill. You know, you you walk up to some of these vehicles and you're reading body language. Somebody's hands are shaking. One hand is shaking and not the other, right? So, and it's not to be making fun of diseases or stuff, but it's like someone at 25 probably doesn't have Parkinson's while they're driving. So, you know, are you nervous? You're not making eye contact. Certain things will trigger to make you, you know, dictate how you're going to do things. Um, I guess how it's translated over into property management, a lot of it is how we deal with people. You you know what to expect from certain actions, right? When you charge somebody, they're going to come back and be upset, right? You're going to get the 400 work orders that come in because they're this, that, and the other. Well, how are you going to handle that situation, right? Because you already know half those work orders are garbage. So you've already got someone that's hostile. They're already upset. How do we deal with that? But, you know, that's these are some of the tools that I don't necessarily, we don't necessarily have to address them. If someone is super upset, I don't need to address them at that time, right? We've had, So we have a live answer call service, but we tell them if someone is super upset, don't transfer them to anybody, which seems counterintuitive, right? Most people are like, I don't want to talk to them right now. There's no logic to me in that because they're not going to hear anything you say, right? So I'll call them back in two hours. Hey, I saw that you called. I'm the owner. Do what you need. Well, now they're calm. Because I'm like, I'm not gonna talk to you while you're mad. Why are both of us gonna sit here and scream for no reason in that scenario? So I would say certain instances like that is what I use. How do
1: you think about the enforcement, balancing the enforcement, which you just articulated? There's a lease, you're a fiduciary working on behalf of the owner, representing their interests. Therefore you enforce the lease. Mm -hmm. Flip side, these are people. This is a home. This is their place of, of of safety, and it could be a great experience. And in the industry, or in any relationship, frankly, that has a, an enforcement component, it can be easy to allow that to kind of dominate and overshadow the other side of the relationship. Like, the empathy, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like what I have to do to get up to enforcing means I don't. I don't want to connect with you because I know I know I may need to get up to having a hard edge in a certain circumstance and therefore I index towards a less relational situation it may even foment more of the enforcement you see the like the cycle I'm getting at
0: I do so when you ask me about things that you carry over from law enforcement that would be one of them right I have no problem switching between the two hmm. we could be empathetic as much as I'm allowed within those confines because I'm used to working within rules because that's what we were you know, brought up to do. Right. And so there is discretion you have as a business owner at all, you know, at all times. So somebody's behind on their rent and you see they're not going to get ahead. You should be working to get them out of the house. Not so much an eviction, just a mutual termination. That's what we like to do. And we'll go to the owner and say, do you want to spend all this money or do you just want to cut this lease off, keep their deposit and let them go on their way? They're just going to get further down the rabbit hole because some people cannot help themselves And you're going to have to help them, right, in that scenario. Um, And the owners, a lot of times, they'll listen to what you have to say. It's in their best interest in that scenario. And tell me mechanically how you facilitate that. We have our attorney draft an uh, agreement. Both parties know, basically, we're not going to come after you. You forfeit your deposit. You leave the house in good shape. Your lease is now terminated. And you're paying for this agreement, right? We sign for the owner. The resident signs. They move out. We get the house back. We put it back on the market. And the deposit goes to the owner. Are we talking cash for keys? How are you incentivizing somebody to do that? I'm incentivizing them that I am not going to wreck their credit history hmm. and their credit. And most people, some people don't know how that road looks, right? They're going to be prideful and you're breaking it down to them. This is how the story is going to end, right? You will end up with all of your possessions on the street if you don't go down this road. So you get to pick which way the story is going to end. Give them choice give people people love choice look at all these management companies with all of our multiple plans right a b c or d you want to bundle here bundle there so here's your choice you can either bring your rent current you can mutually terminate or we're going to evict you now where the law enforcement side comes in that you say the empathy but i have children right but i'm a single mom i'm a single dad i'm Mm. a this i'm a that Mm. i did not create these circumstances in this scenario and i'm giving you a choice right Mm. i'm not just saying you're evicted i'm I'm giving you choices. Now, you have to decide which route you want to take. Whichever route they take is the way we're going to go. And that's a lot of times people are uncomfortable giving the choice and then waiting to see what happens. So here's your choice. You have, you know, 48 hours you to do. And, you know, we just had one recently where he didn't take mutual termination. We went through with the eviction. He has no judgment on his record. Mm. And he was still there after it. And then we had to do a sidewalk party or a writ of possession, right? And take all this stuff. And I don't want to do that. I don't take any joy in doing that, but I didn't cause this situation, right? I'm just now having to, to carry out this duty.
1: Hmm.
0: This is a random segue, but when you think about
1: property management as a Career choices and adjacency for people in law enforcement. Does it does it strike you as being um, a particularly strong adjacency relative to the million other businesses that somebody coming from that background could get into?
0: It's, it's you're doing the same thing without weapons, essentially, right? So, I, 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 you have people who are wanting protection, which is a safe home, this and that and the other, right? Uh, and then you're dealing with people who don't want to be held responsible for their actions, right? Whether that's an owner or a resident, because you have some owners that are try to, you know, be slumlords or whatever. It's just a balancing act, right? At the end of the day, you're just balancing out people's emotions at the end of the day, that's all you're doing. So I personally, I enjoy it. I have no issues with property management, I think it's fun. I love that it, you do have that level of comfortability and
1: the business on the dollars and cents side appears to be stable,
0: profitable and
1: you seem to be enjoying it.
0: It's getting better is what I tell people, right? Um, I'm enjoying it because I've actually allowed myself to start learning how to run a business, right? Dealing with people all day is an easy thing to do for me, but learning how to be a better business owner and then teaching others. That's really my joy is you share your story, your story of your, I don't wanna call it our failures, our our learning lessons, right? But, you know, I don't have a problem telling anybody how bad I was or how bad money was spent, or we weren't doing this, or we weren't doing that. Um, I went through that phase of uh, having every vendor under the sun and then realizing again, when I went through my conversion that why do I have all these different things happening when I could just hire a remote team member? But I learned about all that at NARPM at the end of the day, right? How do you, you ask questions of other people who've made the same mistake. And so when I see other operators, if they come up and ask, or they, you know, I saw you on this or that, and what are your thoughts? It's like, well, here's what I did. Don't do what I did because I sucked really bad at this and this has worked well for me. What are your goals for the business now over the next five years? You know, I don't put a, a door count goal. Um, I think if you start artificially moving towards a number, you will slow down. I think people instinctively are afraid of success. It's it's something that's built in a lot of us as you you start getting bigger. So for us, it's we want to grow uh, profit and if that it means growing doors then we're fine right so 200 300 500 doesn't matter in uh, five years a segue I actually really enjoy multifamily you know and I sound crazy for saying it but I really enjoy I enjoy commercial real estate I sell it and I enjoy it uh, I want to get into multifamily management I think there's a uh, there's different ways to do stuff in there and then I enjoy commercial management
1: when you say commercial, we're talking
0: office space, Small office storefront. space, yeah. I'm not looking to run a hotel or a casino or anything like that today. I won't put a limiting belief out there because if the opportunity comes, I'll learn. But in the next five years, I wouldn't do that. I, I do like the short-term rental space. You know, uh, Brian Birdie is in my market. Brian is very giving and sharing with his knowledge. Absolutely. Right, and, and that, and we're so appreciative of that, right? And so he runs, you know, they've been doing this NARPM short-term Thing then I'm gonna to go to it but I want to learn more um, I don't want to jump into something so fast because uh, a catastrophic failure there has a ripple effect in the market so I don't necessarily want to hurt the industry you just you're jumping after something about oh it's a lot of money well there's a lot of other nuances you know I've done three webinars with them and the stuff that it takes to get off the ground is you wouldn't think it takes that much but it's a lot so we were thinking about it and we actually kind of paused. And we're like, eh, you know, we'll see. Because if I'm going to take all my energy and put it in that direction, I could just as easily put it somewhere else that we're already up and running.
1: So with commercial, you're managing some commercial properties right now?
0: We have two strip centers that we do right now.
1: And how, how have you found that? How similar or dissimilar does that
0: feel to? Commercial in general has no emotion, which is much different than residential, whether it's sales or management, right? It's all about the numbers at, at the end of the day. Your owners think differently. Your renters think differently. Um, it's just it's just business at the end of the day, which is nicer. Cause you know, you know, dealing with emotions of stuff can be exhausting. Something like the owner doesn't have any money and they're begging. You get into the commercial, this person's owning a three million dollar building and hey, your AC went out. Okay. Mm-hmm. The money's already in the bank. It's done. Like what everybody dreams of as a perfect owner, it's typically what you're getting for at least my experience with the commercial guys and gals, right? Because one owner is female, one owner is male, and you know, say, hey, we need three ACs, how much? 35,000, okay, I'll wire it over tomorrow. And it's there, we get it done, here's your warranties, you know, doing all that stuff. So it's nice.
1: What about real estate investments for yourself? Where does that fit in the prior- life priorities for you?
0: I have, some. I have some, I have land, I have commercial, and I have residential. Um, I like investing, I think I think in this industry it's helpful because you can now understand a perspective of an owner, right? Uh, and you get asked a lot of times. Because, like, you know, I'm gonna have you manage my asset. Do you have any assets that you manage? Do you know my anxiety, my pains, what I'm, what I'm trying to achieve? Can you guide your owners on how to be better investors at the end of the day? That doesn't mean you shouldn't. I don't think it's a requirement you have to, but I mean, we. I tell people, I, I have a, a real estate broker separate from Forefront. And I tell people we get paid to buy our investments. How many people can say that, Mm -hmm. right? I literally can go get 3% or whatever is in your market to go build up something that's going to make me money over time. And then I get paid to sell it. It's kind of hard to beat.
1: I'm a huge believer in community. And for me to mix personal with professional actually gives me joy. It's not something I shy away from. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks are looking for separation between work and personal. There's some hesitation, resistance, concern. Uh, There's really the opposite motivation to a desire to want to separate and avoid that conflation. And some folks listening to this have heard of NARPM, joined, and their experience has been So-so. Wasn't life-changing. Wasn't a huge, profound moment for them. Other folks swear by it. You're clearly making a strong endorsement for you. In your mind, what's the difference between somebody that's a member and they get some residential resource magazines and maybe jumped in a webinar and there's not a strong chapter in their area, which we know is definitely an issue in in a broad number of areas of the country, versus somebody that has a a life-changing, profoundly impactful outcome? How would you map to what defines the difference in experience for someone?
0: I would have to say it is, well, I, I, I benefit from a strong chapter. San Antonio has been a, a godsend, right? Um, everyone there shares, like you can go to a meeting and it's just welcoming. Everyone knows everybody and it's great, but getting involved is where the mindset shift happened. Right? So if someone says, I don't have a strong a, a chapter in my area or strong national always has openings. Right. But it's like, once I started getting involved and working with other people and giving back uh, to me, that's when the doors open and uh, the, the, my eyes were opened, if you would, getting involved was very, very helpful. Who were the first couple of people that you met in the organization? First person, James Alderson, Kevin Knight, our dear friend that we just mm-hmm. lost. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg Birdie, Greg Birdie sent me my first email telling me welcome. Cause I joined and showed me how to take my ethics class. Um, so. Those were the first two or three people there james alderson uh suckered me into getting on a committee at my local chapter did that and then greg deering papa greg uh is the reason why i got into leadership within narcom so
1: that's beautiful i love that background it was both a mix of members and vendors you mentioned james alderson who mm-hmm. started on-site pros correct they're worth calling out they've really on-site and and now phil continuing that legacy is really leaned in in a very disproportionate way. There's a lot of great vendors that are very involved in showing up, but there's a minority that lean in that hard to actually supporting the organization. I think that's commendable. I think commendable. Phil
0: is just as passionate about uh, taking care of all parties involved, right? which is what's nice. His, his product is we are users of mm-hmm. on-sites, on-site pros, and you know he's trying to create a great experience for everybody at the end of the day, which is great. It's not, it's not just uh, a one-sided thing.
1: I love that. That's a part of the joy of being here and being able to participate in an industry with a significant give back. If you were going to give some advice to a new operator that's just starting out and they're wondering whether or not this is going to be something that they can actually make a, a career in a sustainable business, or if it's just going to be a grind, what's the one thing? I, I, there's a lot of things, you know, that's a half hour question, but what's the one piece of advice that you
0: would share with that new person? I think my going back and looking, if I could start over again, it would honestly be, I would start with my books. I can't, I don't think I can overstate that enough because what is the purpose of what you do if you can't, I I tell someone, everything we do in life has a measurement on it. What do you weigh? How tall are you? What's your speed limit? If I can't measure my actions and my time, right? I don't want to, I, I feel like I had a lot of years where I worked, but I didn't really get anything for it so i would want to know i would want my chart of account set up from the first day so that i already have a mindset that i'm looking to track these things Mm -hmm. because then i think your growth trajectory is uh, trajectory would be unstoppable at that point because really what happened is i come in you're working you're working you're working you're doing the, the the typical operator mistake where you bring in all the crappy doors because All you're hearing is that you need more doors right but then they all drain you mentally and physically and then you get rid of all of them and then you're worried about getting rid of them but then you actually make more money when they're gone because you can focus on other parts It's like it's a cycle right that you see everybody go through um and so when you can intercept that and get rid of that part by knowing what it is what are your targets so i would set my targets around my my financial goals i would run it more as a as a business at the end of the day right versus just being in there because, you know, for some people it's not about money, right? It's about the lives you touch and, and I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that, but as you make more money in the company, I can actually affect more people, right? Maybe I can donate money to a homeless shelter. Maybe I can build my own tiny house community and help people get off the streets. There's, there's all kinds of opportunities you can do when you have profit.
1: What's your one piece of career advice to a non owner, to a property manager? that's new to this industry and is wondering, is this a job or could this be a career? What would be your advice to that person in terms of how to grow and succeed and
0: and what this could be for them? Take time off. Take time off. I I started um, two years ago in December. I plan my vacations for the next year. I'm working towards something so that there's never an endless black hole. Pacing. Because sometimes you get into that, right? It's like everything's going wrong. This person's up that. You could get into that, but there has to be something that you're looking forward to, right? Besides just going home. <laughs> so, hey, you know what? In three weeks, I'm going to be on a beach or whatever. I'm going to be at Disney World with my daughter or whatever the case may be. But you, you can't lose sight of why we do what we do, right, at the end of the day, which is to get away.
1: That really resonates with me. I'm on day six or seven of travel right now, and I'm going to Mexico next week, brother. Okay,
0: we'll see. <laughs> but there we go, right?
1: Yeah. It's giving me stamina. It was very intentional. I knew this was going to be exhausting. Having that eyes on the prize, going to be, be there with family, it shifts how I relate to this as opposed to just feeling like something that's going to drag on indefinitely.
0: So for those who don't have family and for those who don't like travel, for example, whatever the goal is, just put on the calendar, right? I want to go buy a new boat. Or I want to go hunting, or whatever the case may be. Just put it out there, right, and work towards it instead of just working all the time. Like, because the years just fly by, and all of a sudden it's like, well, what did I do?
1: It's a great share. Let's end it there, Brian. Appreciate okay. you coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks I for having me Look forward on. to continue to watching your progress and appreciate you being one of those guys that's really focused on giving back in the industry.
0: Uh, you know what, NARPAM has really helped me to get where I'm at, and I am appreciative, and I will always continue to give back.
1: Fantastic. Let's leave it there. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me.